Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from somewhere I can't disclose. <laughs> and this time we're going to talk about what to do for your 10-year-old van in regards of maintenance. What are those things that aren't typical normal maintenance that you would do every few months that you should kind of think about 10 years down the line? We're also going to talk about what uses VPNs actually are for those of you traveling in your vans. We'll have a product review of a trail cam with a cell phone in it and a tale from the road involving fruit and a fire department because those two things <laughs> go great together. So folks, I'm still in the middle of my mystery trip here and I cannot reveal where I am. Suffice it to say that I'm in a strange little room next to a very loud motor of some kind. I don't even know what it is. I assume it's some kind of a generator or something. But um, I apologize for the bad acoustics. We're just going to sally forth and get the podcast done. Also, the video for this week won't be an actual edited video. It's simply going to be a recording of this podcast audio only. So YouTube folks, I apologize for that. But given my circumstances, it is for the best. And before we get started, a big shout out of thank you to Dave and Moes, M-O-W-S, for donating to buymeacoffee.com slash built to go and helping make this podcast ad free. If you guys would like to keep this going where I don't have any ads on the podcast other than this little promotion, go ahead and visit buymeacoffee.com slash built to go. That's two T's, not three, not one. And you can buy me a gallon of gas. And if that keeps going the way it has, we won't have any ads on the show, which I'm very thankful for. Okay, so you bought a van and it's 10 years old, right? So at this point, that'd be a 2013 van or somewhere around there. And you, you know stuff about vehicles. I mean, you know to change the, the oil and the oil filter. And, you know, you probably change the wipers every once in a while. And we're not going to talk about that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about the stuff that... You don't do all the time, but after 10 years, you really start to need to think about it. So let me just go down the list I have here and talk about these things, because some of them aren't obvious, and, and some of them are actually pretty easy, and some of them aren't so easy. Number one, probably the most important as far as safety is concerned, is the brake fluid. Now there's a little reservoir that holds your brake fluid. It's usually right at the top of the engine on the firewall on the right or left hand side of the vehicle depending on where you are. And if that fluid gets a little bit low you'll get a light on your dashboard saying brake or having a picture of a pedal or something like that. And you might think that if that light's not on your brake fluid is fine. And it may not be because that fluid, it's a type of hydraulic fluid, it actually absorbs moisture from the air. And what's wrong with that, you might ask? I mean, it's a fluid, you're adding a fluid to a fluid, what's the problem? Well, water will turn to steam at temperatures above 212 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees Celsius. And if that happens while you're braking, because brakes produce a lot of heat, that steam can make your brakes fail completely because gases are compressible and liquids aren't. That might be a little too complex of an explanation, but the bottom line is you need to have your brake fluid checked after many years to make sure it's still actually good brake fluid. And, you know, it's not that hard to change it out. There, there's two ways to do it. If you've got help, you can actually just drain the system and add new fluid and then bleed the air out of the system. Or you can have somebody like Jiffy Lube or somebody do that. Or if you are a solo traveler and you don't have anyone to help with, because it absolutely takes two people to bleed these things, you can actually just 
take out as much of the fluid as you can with a turkey baster, you know, a big kind of syringe thing, and then add a bunch of fresh fluid. But you'll have to repeat this five or ten times in order to dilute all the dirty fluid with the clean fluid. And then you'll get to something like 95% clean fluid, which is enough to keep you going. That way isn't ideal, but it does work and it can be very helpful if you're somebody who doesn't have a lot of technical skill or you're simply alone and have no other way to do it. And number two, since we're talking about fluids, there's a lot of other fluids in your vehicle you have to worry about too. Now we talk a lot about the water and batteries, obviously you know that. And the windshield washer fluid, we're not going to worry about that. Radiator fluid, of course, you do need to flush and change every once in a while because stuff can happen to it. But there are other fluids too that a lot of people don't think about. One is the power steering fluid. Nearly all vans have power steering and the fluid is, is actually very similar to brake fluid and it can have the same problems. So make sure that that is checked. And there, there are, you can go to the auto parts store and buy little things that can check that fluid. But uh, it, after 10 years, it's not a bad idea to have a mechanic check all the fluids and they can tell you whether they're still good or not. So steering fluid and brake fluid are very similar in that regard. It's a little bit easier to bleed steering fluid, but it's a, it's a fairly large job. It's not something I would do myself. Another fluid people forget is the differential fluid. Now, if you have a rear wheel drive vehicle, there's this like big hump in the middle of the wheels on the axle underneath the vehicle. Inside that is, is a type of gear oil. It's a very thick oil. It's, it's not like motor oil. It's its own special kind of oil. You have to look in your owner's manual to see what kind of oil that is, but it does need to be changed every once in a while. Now this oil has a, a habit of smelling really bad, so this can be a nasty job, but you absolutely can do it by yourself. I recommend you watch some YouTube videos about it, but it's as simple as unscrewing a plug, draining it, putting the plug back in, and then filling it up from the top. The tricky part is actually getting the fluid back in because the hole to get it back in is like really close to the vehicle. So you can't just like pour a can in there. You need some kind of a hose system, but totally something you can do. And that can save you from a catastrophic failure where your differential dies and then you're not going anywhere. So definitely check the differential fluid. Also, and this one is a little controversial, is transmission fluid. Now for all of these, you're going to look in your owner's manual and see what the owner's manual recommends. But there are some cases where, well, in my experience, it's been okay to ignore what the owner's manual says. So transmission fluid is, is a hydraulic fluid like these others, but there's a lot of it. Your automatic transmission uses an awful lot of fluid and that fluid can get burnt and old. But the way you handle it is different depending on the vehicle. Most modern automatic transmission vehicles do have a drain plug and you can drain it out and add more. Some mechanics don't recommend that you do this because they think it can shock the transmission. As the fluid ages, so does the transmission and those things kind of mate together. And if you change the fluid, suddenly the parts in there don't mesh well with the fluid and it can cause problems. At least that's the theory. I'm not entirely sure I buy it, but that's what I've heard. And then there are cars like my NV200 that had a sealed transmission. You never change the transmission fluid in an NV200 according to the manual, which is odd to me because there is a filter in there. Most transmissions have a filter in them that you change when you change the fluid. So. When I had about 150,000 miles on my NV200, I went to a mechanic and said, look, I know you're not supposed to change the transmission fluid, but uh, I'd like to do it anyway. 
and they agreed to do it and it's it's a messy messy job you have to drop the pan there's no way to drain it because there's no drain plug you have to drop the pan and then fill it up through the dip tube under the engine it takes a long time but i noticed a marked improvement in how the transmission worked after i did that so for an old nv200 or for other cvt type transmission vehicles yeah i think i would uh, go ahead and change the transmission fluid even though the owner's manual doesn't call for it now another thing people will miss if they don't drive their vehicles a lot is their tires. Well no, the tread looks fine, I don't need to replace this, says the guy who just bought a 20 year old RV that's been sitting in a field for five years. Tires age as well as wear. So if you look at tires and you see any kind of cracks on the sidewall, it's time to replace those tires. And sometimes you can't see the cracks and it's still time to replace them. So how do you know when tires are too old to keep? And the answer is that there is a date code on the sidewall of the tire. And it will say something like D-O-T-X-X-X-X-X and then a four digit number. And that four digit number is the date code. The way to read that is the last two digits are the year. So let's say it's 15 at the last two digits. That would mean the tires are made in 2015. And then there will be two more digits in front of that. So let's say it's 02. So you have 0215. That doesn't mean February 15th. <laughs> it means the second week of 2015. So that would be January 14th of 2015. So again, the four numbers, the first two are how many weeks into the year it is, and the second two are what the year is. And generally, if your tires are three to five years old, it's maybe time to look at replacing them. And then older than five years old, five to seven years, yeah, you pretty much need to replace them. Anything older than that, absolutely. Doesn't matter how brand new they look, they're not safe because rubber components, they just break down over time, unfortunately. Now, speaking of rubber, components your vehicle's full of hoses too you've got upper radiator hoses lower radiator hoses if you have a turbo you have all kinds of turbo hoses I had one of those fail and that was fairly traumatic uh, you want to replace the hoses it, it, they're not expensive generally if you have a sprinter everything's expensive but generally hoses are not the most expensive thing you're going to replace on your vehicle a lot of them are easy to do yourself and after 10 years it's probably a good idea to replace them, especially if you're about to do some sort of epic trip, because one of them failing can end your trip, and uh, they're not necessarily easy to find on the road. I, I had a problem with my Sprinter where I had a turbo hose blow, and I couldn't find one in the state of Colorado. I had to mail order it and then go pick it up, and it, it, was, it was not any fun. I wish I had changed those hoses ahead of time. So definitely, after 10 years, hoses probably all need to be replaced. And the same goes for belts. Belts are rubber, and you're probably replacing them more than every 10 years. But definitely take a look at your belts. If you see any cracking or you're hearing any squealing, it's probably time to change them out. And depending on your vehicle, you might be able to do that yourself. But sometimes it's a real pain in the butt and you want a mechanic to do it. You, you get to decide that. Another component to consider replacing, especially if you're having a lot of major work done. For example, if the belts are being changed and your vehicle has 100,000 miles on it, consider replacing the water pump before it fails. Water pumps are something that fail on most vehicles after 100,000 miles or so. I mean, you'll hear stories of them going 300,000 miles, whatever. But the way they work is uh, there's a bearing in there. There's this metal part that spins and it wears over time, especially if the radiator fluid has gotten old. 
and uh, it will end your trip. I was driving across the country in an old Suburban and I had a water pump fail and it absolutely destroyed my trip. It, it ended adding thousands of dollars and days to the trip. I would rather have not gone through that. So if you have an opportunity when your engine is fairly taken apart, especially all the belts are off, consider replacing the water pump. They're generally not that expensive and they can cause a lot of problems. Actually, the Winnebago had a water pump failure too. I've had two vehicles this happened to. And the other, this other one is a little less catastrophic, but it, it actually can be, and that's your AC compressor. AC compressors are one of the most common expensive items to fail in vehicles. Now, yeah, you could say, well, if that goes, then I just don't have air conditioning. How important is that? And while it's important for comfort, obviously, it's also important for defrosting the windows. But there's another way in which it can be a problem, and that is the compressor can seize and stop spinning. And the belt that goes around the compressor usually goes around some other part of your engine, like your alternator. And if it seizes, then your belt can't rotate over it. And then you basically lose your alternator and everything else. So compressors are expensive. I'm not recommending you preemptively replace them, but as much as you can, pay attention to them. If they start to chatter, if they start to squeal, anything like that, then you might want to start figuring out how you're going to replace it. And that is something you almost can't do yourself because of restrictions regarding the refrigerant. And finally, which is uh, a topic we talk about all the time in van life, battery wires. So over time, the wires that go to your battery under the hood can corrode. You've seen that white stuff on your battery. It's not dangerous or anything, but it can interfere with the wires working properly. And sometimes it can get in the insulation. And while you see it on the battery, you may not see it on the other end where that wire connects to the vehicle. This is especially true of the ground wire. Your ground wire is bolted onto the frame somewhere in your vehicle, and that can get corroded. They're fairly cheap, and after 10 years, it's a good idea to, at the very least, inspect them and make sure they're in good shape. But uh, if you have any doubts about them at all, go ahead and replace them. It's not that big of a deal, and it can solve a lot of weird problems with your vehicle, especially that ground wire. Vehicles with bad grounds do all kinds of bizarro things. So there's some things to look at if you have an older van. I know a lot of you do, and heck, I do. My van's older than 10 years, and I've gone through a lot of these things myself. Save yourself from getting stuck out there. Tech Talk. Let's talk about VPNs, which are virtual private networks, or virtual private networking. You see a lot of ads for VPNs. There's Surfshark and NordVPN, and there's all these different ones. I use one called ClearVPN. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. And, um, well, there's a Tom Scott video that's four years old that talks about basically that these, the ads for these products are just not telling the truth. Now, 10 years ago, it was true that it wasn't that hard for somebody to steal your passwords and your banking information and all that if you used the Wi-Fi at Starbucks or at a bus stop or whatever. But those days are gone. VPNs do not keep you more secure. This isn't a problem they solve because that problem has been solved by web browsers and modern apps on your phones. If you look at your web browser, go to any site you want and you will probably see a little lock to the left. That lock is encryption and that lock means that you are safe, that nothing you type in there is going to be intercepted by anybody else. So you don't need a VPN to keep yourself safe from that stuff. That doesn't mean VPNs aren't useful though. 
And no, folks, this is not an ad for a VPN. I'm not adver <laughs> I have not been paid by one of these companies, and uh, I don't have a recommendation for which one to buy. Buy whichever one's cheapest. But I do have two good uses for you. Uh, these are also based on Tom's video, but also in my personal experience. VPNs do do two things that are very useful. One is that they let you change your location. So your computer has a location. It, it detects where it is, and companies use this to decide what to show you. For example, they'll show you airline prices based on where you are, or if it's like Netflix or Prime Video or something like that, they may have different contracts in different countries. So I, I remember when Star Trek Discovery first came out many years ago, people in Canada could watch it on Netflix, but people in the US couldn't. Well, a VPN can help with that. You can tell your VPN that you're in Canada or you're in the US or whatever, and it will show you the content you want. I have used it for this. Now, it's, it's like, what? that doesn't sound legal, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, that's a really gray area. I, and in my case, if I leave the US, and I want to watch my normal Netflix, and I can't because it says, you know, you're in Mexico and you can't watch this programming in Mexico, I don't really have any ethical qualms about switching it to the US. After all, I'm paying for this service. I am an American and I'm an American customer. I don't see any problem with that. So that's how I use it. Now, it's also true that you can use it for hiding your, what you're looking at from your ISP. So, you know, Comcast and companies like that can see where you're going. They can't see the content, but let's say you have an account with Bank America. They can't see that you logged in to Bank America. They can't see your password. They can't see your accounts, but they know that you went to Bank of America because they're the ones who are sending you the traffic from Bank of America. They have to, but a VPN can block that. What a VPN will do is tell your ISP that everything is going to them and that's all they see. But then you've got to shift the trust to the VPN. Now, most VPNs, or at least some VPNs, claim to just hide all that data. They don't track it, they don't keep it, they don't sell it. And there's a chance that they may be dishonest. I have not encountered that, I don't know. But if you were in a situation where you needed to like, oh, look at some questionable websites at work and you didn't want work to find out that you were looking at them, yeah, a VPN can help with that. Although your, your IT manager might wonder why you're using a VPN at work. Anyway, those are the two good uses for VPNs. Like I said, I use ClearVPN, which is part of SetApp. You can Google that, it's SetApp. It's a thing for Macs, that, it's a bundle of apps. It works fine, I'm not particularly recommending it, but uh, go ahead and find one that's cheap if you need these kind of services. But if you're somebody who just stays in the States, you probably don't need a VPN at all product review so I am I think I actually did a product review on this before I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an update on it but this is a Bushnell Cellucor 20 trail cam and this trail cam if you're not familiar with trail cams these are cameras that you typically will attach to a tree and they will start recording if anything walks in front of them it's, it's typically meant to track deer and they and they do work at night they have an infrared thing and all that and they record that to an SD card but the problem is you have to get the SD card to see if there's anything on there well they have some newer ones now like this one that actually communicate over cell phone networks and the way this one works is I'll get an alert that says, hey, something walked by your camera, and then I'll get a preview in email. 
And I can see I've actually found trespassers with the one I have hi hiding on my property. And it's very, very good for that. Although I'm learning that it's not all that good for that. And, and this is why. I've had a lot of problems with this thing actually just failing for no good reason. There have been a lot of account problems. Oh, did I mention there's an account? Of course there is. It's $15 a month to track this thing. Now, you don't need any cell phone plan other than that. But you do have to spend $15 a month in order for it to send you data. Which is a bit much. But anyway... It does work, except when it doesn't. I've had all kinds of account problems. I've had the thing just stop working for no reason at all. And it takes 12 AA batteries. That lasts about six weeks. You can buy a specialized solar panel for it if you want, but that adds more expense too. And the cameras cost over $100 themselves. So recently I installed ring cameras on my property with a hotspot, basically. I have a, an AT&T hotspot that gives me 50 gigabytes of data. I think it's $50 a month, not inexpensive. But the ring cameras work much, much, much better than the cellular trail cam. I mean, infinitely better. First off, the, the subscription is only $3.99 a month. And second, I can view live through them. I can record sound and audio anytime I want. I can talk through the cameras. If uh, I've had this problem where I've had some trespassers, I've been you know, able to yell at them through the camera. They didn't seem to care, but I can do that. And I can set off alarms. So I actually have two ring cameras. One has a floodlight on it, and the other one is just hiding somewhere. And that actually works much, much better than the cellular trail cam. Now, I don't think cellular trail cams are a waste. If you're in your van and you want some security, you could take the cellular trail cam and hide it in the bushes outside of your van. And then if anyone messes with your van, you'd see them and get an alert. And you wouldn't need any Wi-Fi package for this. It would just work as long as it could detect a cell site. I think there's some value in that. But if you have a reliable internet connection somehow, like maybe you have one of these hotspots in your van, I think the Ring camera, or probably Blink and other camera systems like that too, I'm just familiar with Ring, I think they're a lot better solution. Much more sophisticated, cheaper per month, and yes, there's a higher outlay of cost at the beginning, or maybe not, I mean, some of the Ring cameras are less than 100 bucks, but you're going to get much, much better results. And also, they use a rechargeable battery that lasts six months rather than going through 12 double A's every six weeks or so. Caveat mTOR, decide exactly what you want. And these cellular trail cameras do have some uses, but I think you really should only consider them if you don't have reliable internet all the time, which is the case for a lot of van life folks. Tales from the road. So I went to a meetup. Remember meetups? Remember when everyone went to meetups and then COVID happened and, well, I guess they still exist, but I haven't been to a meetup in a very long time. But I went to a meetup in a park in St. Louis with a whole bunch of people. There were probably 50 of us there. And um, a lot of us didn't know each other. That was the nature of these meetups. And we were getting to know each other and people brought stuff, you know, like, oh, here I brought some pizza and whatever. But this one guy showed up with this fruit that I'd never seen before. And it was, it was pretty big. It was not quite the size of a football, but not that far off. And it was brown and kind of prickly. And he said, hey, have you ever tried this? And I looked at it and, uh, you know, it just it didn't smell really good. And I was like, no, I don't think I want to. And he said, oh, no, you, dude, you got to try this. It's really, really popular in the Philippines. And I'm like, um, well, all right. So he, he got a knife and he 
cut it open. He didn't really seem to know how to do this very well. It took him a while of fiddling around to get it cut. And as soon as he sliced into the flesh, which was this pale yellow-brown color, this odor of sewer just flooded the whole park and everyone around us was gagging like oh my god what is that smell and some of you have already figured out that the fruit that he brought was a durian this is a notorious fruit that is banned in many places because it smells so bad it really does smell like an open sewer it is horrible and yet, people who like it say it is the best taste ever. They make durian ice cream and durian candies, and there are people who totally love this stuff. But in some of these countries, like I think in Singapore, it is illegal to have a durian on public transit because it smells so bad. So, you know, it's a meetup, and we're all having fun. Ha, 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 that thing's terrible, awful, blah, blah, blah. A few people try it, and uh, I tried the tiniest bit and thought it was just disgusting. It is not for me. And then, you know, we threw it in the trash and didn't think anything of it. We went on with our meeting. And then about 20 minutes later, the fire department rolls up and they're walking around our group and they said, hey, we've got to report that there's a natural gas leak here. And we're like, we're in the middle of a park. There aren't any buildings anywhere and there's no gas lines that we can see. We don't know what the heck's going on. And then finally it dawns on us what happened. Somebody called the fire department because of the durian. Somebody smelled it, but wasn't close enough to our group to understand that we were actually eating this thing and thought it must be a gas leak because nothing else could smell that bad. And they literally called the fire department who literally showed up, literally with their little gas detector wands, and when we showed them the durian, one of the firefighters actually stuck his wand in there and said, well, it doesn't read natural gas, but it sure as hell smells like it. And then they all laughed and went away and everything was fine. And they were super nice about it. But uh, yeah, if you want to try a really adventurous food, go ahead and try a durian. But um, make sure I'm not invited. Thanks. A place to visit. So this is a strange place to visit. And there's not all that much to see here. There's more of a story, but there's a few little different things that kind of monumentalize this event that happened that was just horrific. About a hundred years ago, a little bit more, in Matawan, New Jersey, there was a shark attack. And it was just unbelievable. The story is just amazing because it wasn't one shark attack, it was several. It was endless shark attacks in fresh water. In Matawan, there's a river that flows into the ocean and apparently a shark had swum up the river or swam, swammed, swimmed, I don't know, but it went up the river and attacked a bunch of kids swimming in like a pool in the river which is a place they thought was completely safe they weren't even in the ocean but the shark attacked one of them and then later on people were looking for the shark and and somehow the shark got one of the guys that was looking for them and later on it killed somebody else and this literally was the inspiration for the novel and movie jaws it wasn't quite as severe as jaws they didn't need a bigger boat but they also never caught the shark the shark just disappeared uh, it's a really horrific, amazing story that you're just like, this couldn't possibly be real. 
but it is. And if you go to Matawan today, there's a few different kind of memorials to it. There is a bridge that has a culvert in it, and the culvert is like this open round hole in the water, but half of it's filled with water. So it's like an, it's the top half of a circle in the water, and somebody painted a mural over it of a shark's mouth open with big teeth. So it looks like the shark is right there. And then there's an actual monument that talks about the deaths of the people killed by the shark and tells the story and, and stuff like that. So if you're in New Jersey and looking for something to see other than the New Jersey Turnpike and you're near Matawan, you might want to poke around and check these places out. I'll have a link in the show notes for a, a couple of them, but uh, yeah, just one of those things that happened that you really couldn't think was possible and yet you can stand right there where it happened. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this rather odd episode here. Episode 192. I absolutely appreciate you listening every single week. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember the words of Susan Heller, who very wisely said, when preparing to travel, lay out all your clothes and all your money. Then take half the clothes and twice the money. <laughs>